Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And we are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. We're delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Each week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. And today, we're delighted to welcome Harriet Sholden, age 80. She grew up in Waterloo, Iowa, where she was the only kid with Jewish immigrant parents from Poland and Russia. As a young adult, she spent a summer in Chicago, fell in love with the city, and decided to stay forever. Harriet got a fifth grade teaching position with an independent school based on the philosophy of John Dewey. She stayed happily at that school for 40 years. Since retiring 16 years ago, Harriet has been an avid volunteer in many areas, continuing to live by John Dewey's credo, everything to help and nothing to hinder. We're going to talk with Harriet about her service to others as a teacher and a volunteer, and we want to hear about her current quest to create new friendships, and we're very curious about why she has taken up tap dancing at this stage in life. So welcome, Harriet. Thank you, and thank you for having me. So Harriet, let's just start by having you uh, talk briefly about the any influences from your early life growing up in Waterloo, Iowa, and uh, kind of what brought you to Chicago? Well, I came to Chicago for the summer after my second year of being at the University of Iowa. And I really thought I was going back until I got on the CTA and I heard some women talking in Yiddish. Well, I for a Yiddish, uh, Yiddish speakers, but I thought nobody else in the world but my parents spoke Yiddish. And when I heard this Yiddish being spoken just right on the CTA where everybody could hear, I said to myself, I'm never going back to Iowa, and I never did. <laughs> you never did. And is it true that you were the only, the only kid there in that community who was... Uh, Jewish and with immigrant parents? That was true in my elementary school. And in my high school, there were, I was one of five Jewish students, but none had immigrant parents. Uh-huh. I'm interested that you were speaking, uh, that your parents were speaking Yiddish in your home and that you picked it up because I have memories of my aunt speaking Yiddish, but she was the only one in my family. And are you able to still speak Yiddish today, Harriet? Well, I understand everything. And of course, I have some sayings that I... Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah. you, you, you came to Chicago, you decided you're going to stay forever, and, and, you, and you did. And tell us about your um, teaching with this independent school and the philosophy of John Dewey. I was so fortunate to get this position as a fifth grade teacher at the Francis Parker School based on John Dewey's philosophy. I had, you know, 
finished my education and done a couple other jobs. And then I took a chance of applying there. And honestly, it was heaven from moment one. John is a famous progressive educator. He lived from 1859 to 1952. And what he tried to achieve are things like um, it, it experiences that lead to independent learning, um, getting the, a student personally interested in the su uh, subject matters. It wasn't like everybody should try to get an A. In fact, we didn't even have grades in the lower school. It was really about learning and friendship and everything to help and nothing to hinder. So I was at the Francis Parker School from 1963 to 2004. And I basically, everything I needed to know, I learned there. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, the, the school that Gail and I have been affiliated with at DePaul was, was the School for New Learning. It's very much influenced by the philosophy of John Dewey. So I can fully appreciate how, how powerful that is. I actually taught at DePaul while uh, once uh, I, we used to get sabbaticals. And on one of my sabbaticals, I taught at DePaul in their education department to their uh, undergraduate students. Yes. So I, I, I have a good feel for it. I, and I enjoyed it very much. Oh, that's great. So um, I know that you, um, you did a lot of of work and, and writing and speaking about parents and their involvement with homework. Yes. How did that come about and why is that such an important uh, subject for you? Well, the parents that I dealt with, all or many, are, were very involved with their children's homework. And when the child wasn't doing their homework, his or her homework, the parent was very distressed by it, and oftentimes it turned into these family arguments where mm. parents yelling, one parent doesn't want the kid to bother with the homework right now, the other parent does, and the kid doesn't want to do it. And what I discovered over my years of teaching is that these arguments have nothing to do with homework, these homework um, they, uh, it doesn't mean to say that every child can do the work and they're not having problems, but if the problem is an academic one, it's easy to sit down, figure, you know, maybe have testing if it's indicated, and sit down. And we, and uh, John Friedman and I had written a book uh, that had a chapter about the homework handbook, uh, the homework agreement. It was like a legal agreement. All three parties, like the child, the teacher, and the parent, would sign. And it was set up so the child could succeed. Um, as an example, there were rewards for success, but no punishment for not. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had a lot of interconnection between the uh, parents and the school. And actually, that um, contract used to be very, it worked not every time, but it worked quite well. The reason I wish I, I would have known about that book when, when I was having the homework battles here in my own house. So, <laughs> when I say that the homework problems 
are never the homework can really who's in charge if they don't want to do the homework and they put their foot down and don't accomplish it then that whole family dynamic happens so harriet can you uh can you tell us some of the uh solutions that you found how to help change the dynamic of what was happening well this contract because everybody has to agree to what the contract is, the teacher, the child, and the parents. So, and you make it simple, very simple, like from such and such a time, the student will do the homework. If he has a question and needs help getting started, that he can do that, but the parent's not there to do the homework. And the contract works successfully when most often when it's a homework problem the work may be too difficult and the child might need some other kind of intervention but most of the time it wasn't a homework problem it was these family scenes where there was an agreement from anyone how the homework should be done so it's very important to clarify the goals what are the child's goals how is the parent going to support the child and to achieve these goals and then the feedback from the teacher that the, the homework is coming in regularly that's a success it, it's not about getting everything right it's not about having the best paper it's about doing the homework and their responsibilities and that gets rewarded on an agreed upon award not reward something manageable like a new book or um, something for the computer and these contracts can work um, and uh, they don't always work because because of the many times it's not a homework problem um, sure yeah thank you Harriet, I know that you have being a volunteer has been an important part of your life for many years, and would love to have you talk about the kinds of things you're involved in, and 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 what uh, you know what volunteering means to you. Well, volunteering is really my continuation of everything to help and not nothing to hinder, and. I, so I have lived my retired years, which are about 16 years now, of really, you know, when you're working full time and things like that, you have other uh, goals besides just being helpful. You've got to, you know, mm -hmm. the other responsibilities. But when you're a senior, you can really do everything to help and nothing to hinder so i did many many different kinds of um uh volunteer activities one in fact was speaking throughout the country um, to help parents and to all different socioeconomic groups about children's homework and i will tell you that the problems across the board are all the same television while they're doing their homework or they're not proofreading and they're very very similar throughout uh, various parent bodies the other thing i did um uh, volunteer activities i did was um uh, 
uh, I, I tutored young people who were planning to go to college through uh, Chicago scholars. I helped them prepare to write their college essay. And Chicago Scholars is a wonderful uh, organization and they have a lot of success with getting their students placed in a really appropriate college for that student. So I enjoyed that. One of the things that I did for the longest period of time was teach a non-reading adult how to read. Well, I say I, I attempted to teach. Once you get through uh, school and you still can't read, it's a, it's a very complicated situation. But this woman and I became good friends and working with her was a delight. And um, she read a little bit better, uh, I'll have to say that, but well, she, she never really got to be a fluid reader. Um, then the, another thing I did, which sort of fits in with what I said about my early life, I have voted, I have registered new, uh, new people who are just, who've just become citizens. Uh, I registered them to vote uh, there in the federal building with, an, with another organization. And I love doing that because you're around very happy people. And it's terrific. And interestingly enough, most of the time my colleagues doing this say congratulations. And of course, the person is very grateful. And I say congratulations to the person sometime. But I started saying, and it used to make me almost cry when I said it. I used to say, enjoy America. And they would, mm -hmm. I said that, they would hug me. Congratulations, yeah. said, you know, thank you. When I said enjoy America, it was like a real connectedness. It felt, mm -hmm. and I was able to finally do it without crying, too. So that was, <laughs> most recently, I've worked with uh, blind adults, and I have found this very satisfying. And I chose it because, Everything that I do, I mean, it's not like you walk away one day and feel, well, I didn't accomplish everything or anything. Uh, you always accomplish something. It may not be what your full agenda is, but you can walk away from these sessions, which are, the, uh, there, are there are different ways to help. But what I did, the person would bring in his or her mail, her bills, things that she had to respond to in some way and i would read that and then we would decide how to respond and it's a very practical thing that i did and i enjoyed uh, doing that very much um and you know one of the things that i had uh mentioned before and when in terms of um uh, uh qualities that a person wants or needs is the issue of resourcefulness because as a teacher a good teacher has a lot of resourcefulness but i will tell you when you work with the blind people <laughs> their resourcefulness <laughs> that's the word that you know really best describes them trying to learn to take care of themselves in the way they want to take care of themselves how long did you work with people who were blind 
Well, this is a new activity for me, and okay. I would say a, a year now. Mm -hmm. With some, not because of the pandemic, it hasn't been regular, but I've been mm -hmm. with this organization for a year. That's great. It reminds me of, you know, on my mother's side of the family, there are a number of her siblings who were blind, and one of my uncles had his own jazz band, and he traveled around the city of Minneapolis uh, at night using public transportation. He had his own newspaper stand. Uh, he, he and his wife, who was blind, raised four wonderful children. I understand about resourcefulness and, and, oh. and how gratifying it is would be to work with, with folks. Oh, and I learned some, one of the things about everything I've done that I've so far described this morning is mm -hmm. I learned more from the people I've worked with, including my students over the 40 year period, mm. <laughs> many times than I've taught. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? I, that's certainly true with the blind group. You know, um, Harriet, you've mentioned, you know, making friends. Some of the friends are students who've now grown into full adulthood. Uh, some of the people that you've met during your volunteering. And yet I know that now at this stage in life, at age 80, you really want to make some, form some new friendships. And, and what's, what's prompting that? Well, I've always had a lot of friends, even when I got off the train and made new friends here in Chicago. Then with my um, work, uh, I had my colleagues were my dearest friends, and many still are. And what prompted it a little bit more now is that uh, out of my three close friends, one is raising her grandchildren, so she's busy. One has passed away, and one moved to California. But I have, along the way, since I've been taking classes, I have been making new friends. In fact, I'm very close to a woman I met about 10 or 12 years ago when we laughed because <laughs> I think I took her a little bit by surprise. She was sitting across, it was an art class, and she was sitting across the table from me. And so I leaned over on the table and I said, do you like to walk? <laughs> and I guess it was sort of an out of the blue question, but she said she did. And we became very close friends, but she still kids me about, <laughs> about is that what I'm going to ask this one and that one if, if they like to walk. <laughs> and actually, I still do. I still do. Um, but I have other ways of making friends that I've, mm -hmm. I can share uh, with yes. you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, it has a lot to do with the, what's now called social bidding. Social bidding is everything. You know, it's bidding sort of clear, I think, in what it means, extending yourself. In my experience, there is no age no time you can't make new friends it feels good to feel connected and you slow down and you look for opportunities and many people say oh i'm too shy i could never do what you do but there's always a variation to do it and everyone can do it i like to quote um my uh <laughs> not my friend but my uh, idol, Jane Brody from the New York Times, mm -hmm. this line, 
I'm a good enough aging adult. And if you feel that way, you can extend yourself. One of the ways that I suggest for making new friends at any age um, is to ask open-ended questions. By open-ended questions, you don't want to have the person say yes or no, and then that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> um, you want to say, say it's you notice somebody in an art class that seems very interested, made some good comments. So then you find that person at the intermission or after class, and you say, you know, I found that so interesting. What do you think about the way uh, the painting had been presented? So that there cannot be just uh, a quick answer. And then you pick up and you say something in response. And if you have that kind of interaction, you already have a friend. Oh. This is interesting. You want to have a, a cup of coffee after the next class. Mm -hmm. Now, you're always going to get somebody, if you do it enough times, that will have, <laughs> will answer an open-ended question with, oh, it was fine, or something like that. <laughs> uh, but the open-ended questions are very, mm -hmm. very important. Um, you, uh, you have to be confident, but also humble. Another thing is, is to be, when the person is giving his or her answer to your question, you have to be listening and be interested. Because everyone mm -hmm. likes to be listened to. If you're thinking up what you're going to say next, it's not going to be as successful. And that's true of all these kinds of things. Other kinds of uh, behaviors that a senior could take to make friends, and many, many do this, are different clubs, classes, athletic groups. Now, I think the best kind of club to join is a book club or a movie club because you are discussing and you get to know the person afterward. To take a, where, a class where there's no discussing, you can always meet up afterwards, but it's easy, very easy with a book club, which is intended to have a discussion or uh, but makes now in terms of sports, tennis is a tricky one unless you play doubles because you can go through a whole hour of tennis and not really talk other than signal about the ball. Golf, on the other hand, you know, you meet up at the tee all the time and you talk and you visit. So by the time you play nine or 18 holes, it's very possible. And you can sign up at the golf club and just say you're alone and they'll put you with a group because no uh, golf course wants to have one person go through when it's crowded. So you with the group. At every tee off, you have a chance to talk and, you know, good shot that, you know, you must be playing for a long time. So that's a very good uh, way to meet people. And then... Another one is volunteer activities. I, each one of the volunteer activities that I've just talked about, I have made very, very good friends. In addition to the person I'm working with, I've managed to make friends and exchange ideas, what they're doing. I've learned a lot about what to do uh, in each one, especially since I knew very 
nothing, I would say, about working with the blind. But, you know, teaching is teaching. There are certain ways that you, you, just, you just do what it comes naturally. Um, like I didn't hesitate to ask, uh, you know, questions to the person about themselves just to get a little um, interaction going both ways. So uh, you can have friends. I tell you, I first of all, the seat. Now, friends, long-lasting friends are one thing, and the uh, suggestions I've just made uh, just now are good for long or lasting friends. But a friend can be a friend after a half hour or 45 minutes. I have made wonderful friends on the CTA. I talk to them, and I. this is all since I've been retired, because when I took the CTA when I was teaching, I couldn't talk to anyone after I was too tired of talking <laughs> When I take the CTA, um, I get involved in conversations. I've made very nice friends uh, of all different backgrounds, and and there's something happens in these relationships that are that carries with you. It might be a half hour or forty five minutes, but it it stays with you. So friendships, it's a friendship is a broad idea, um, and mentoring is another way of making friends too. Um, it's. If you're interested, if one is interested in making new friends, it will happen. Yeah, it Harriet, it sounds to me like you really, uh, I mean, I, I would like your, uh, your broader, um, how you frame friendship, and it, it's so much around connecting with people and with intention and with interest. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's a really lovely lesson for all of us. And, and in the few minutes we have left, we really want to hear about your tap dancing. Oh, I love my tap dancing. And, uh, I started out because this advertisement for the tap dancing said that it was good physically and cognitively. Well, now that I'm a senior, I'm not retrieving my proper nouns so well. So I thought uh, cognitively, I, I need that. So, um, so I have been taking tap now for a year, and, and now I felt with the Zoom I was getting behind because the teacher can't really say, no, don't do it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I take an hour uh, extra lesson, and um, and it, it, it suits all of a person's, uh, you know, you can get your physical exercise See, there's a lot of mental work in tap dancing because you, it's new material. You have to keep track of a lot of movements. It's it's using all parts of your brain. Uh, and you have to remember what you learned last time so you can remember to do it next time. And you have to remember what she said to do about your ankles so you remember next time. So it's like... Two for one, that's what I call it, because my getting exercised and my body is getting exercised. And it's another place I've made new friends. <laughs> so have you noticed uh, any any difference in your your uh, remembering uh, pronouns? You know, it's using... uh, proper nouns. Uh, proper I, nouns, I, sorry. 
sometimes I have trouble with pronouns too, but um, I, it's hard to say because some days I'm great. You know, every noun that I ever known in my life comes to me and other days I'm faltering. I would say yes. I think that it has helped. It's not made me, you know, a great proper noun rememberer the way I was five years ago. But yes, I think it has. I, you know, I, I wouldn't know for sure yet, but I think it has. And I will say this, if it hasn't, I haven't lost anything anyhow, because I am making new friends. <laughs> right, right. It keeps coming back to friends, doesn't it? Gail, do you have any, um, any questions or comments? Well, Harriet, I have to say that I don't think you'd have any trouble making friends anytime, anywhere with your philosophy of being a friend. It's, it's really, uh, yeah, it just makes me think that anyone who meets you would want to be your friend. And, um, and you also made me think of my tap dancing days when I was a youth. And now hearing your explanation of what it takes, I understand why I wasn't very good. <laughs> so no, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. <laughs> so in the last minute or so, Harriet, do you have any uh, advice for others in terms of how you think about aging, uh, the aging process? Yes, I do, because I've done it myself. When you, the beauty of aging is that you can really help other people. I mean, you have time and you're not preoccupied with the things that got you to where you are. And I've helped a lot of people and, and I've enjoyed it. And it makes my life feel really worthwhile when it happens. Um, so I'm lucky that I've been able to do all these things. I'm very fortunate, and I'm, I'm grateful for everything I had uh, during these many years, and I'm especially grateful for having been invited to be your guest today. <laughs> well, we are we're very delighted to have you, and we want to thank you so much for being with us today and for all of your, your really helpful and insightful views on really different aspects of life and living. <laughs> and listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts in our Facebook group at Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. Become an active participant in our community and join us at our Zoom events. Access our weekly Wednesday podcasts. If you know a vital woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us at womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.